Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Alright, baseball is not boring. And when I say this, when we started this project. I'm not lying when I say there's a few people who I, I really, really, really come to mind uh, when it comes to sort of that narrative and the importance of it. And one of them is Dayton Moore, and which uh, Dayton, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're with us today. I appreciate you coming on. Hope everything's well. Yep, always. Yep. Great to be with you, Rob. So, so one of the reasons why, you know, and I'm not just saying this, I, I sincerely mean it. There's nobody I'd rather have Bond right now, right here than you, Dayton. It's good to talk to you. It's always good to talk to you. We go way back. But, you know, I, I remember always during the, during the pandemic and, and when teams were laying uh, minor leaguers off and, and, and getting rid of minor league teams. And, and I think you stepped up. And this is just a, a small example but the thing is, is that you stepped up and said, you know, this is important. This is important for the fabric of the game to keep these guys around. This is important for for the future of the game, not necessarily for the star players, but for the coaches of, of tomorrow and, and all of it. And, you know, and, and you might downplay it, Dayton, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is what that told me was this is someone who just sincerely, deeply cares about the game and and is looking at it through the prism of of we have to be able to adjust and we have to be able to um not just check off boxes uh i i guess with that sort of opening statement i don't know how you feel about it having this has been a couple years since you sort of made those statements but how do you feel about it right now well i I think rob i think one of the things that, that you and i both share is a genuine love for the game and uh, you can't love the game without loving the players and appreciate and respecting the commitment that they have uh, to become a player, whether you're a high school player, a college player, a minor league player, or a major league player. It takes a 
unbelievable amount of time and commitment to develop your skill at a level to participate at any of those levels. And, you know, the one thing that, that you and I understand and all the players understand is there is a shelf life and there is, a, there is an expiration date. You will get released at some point in time in your career. Very few players get to say that I retired, right? I mean, <laughs> guys get released. And, but they can, they can deal with being released. Um, when the manager or a coach or a general manager or the player development director calls them into the office and says, look, Joey, you've worked your butt off. Uh, you've done everything we've asked you to do. Um, but unfortunately, there's just not an opportunity for you here with the organization right now. Um, we're proud of you. We'll do everything we can to help you. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, it's just part of the game. Players respect that. They understand that. And so in that particular case, obviously players had worked extremely hard that offseason. They come to spring training sharing in the hope and the expectations of a great year. And then all of a sudden, boom, COVID hits. And they didn't get a chance to participate in spring training and get an opportunity to win a job and be a part of a team. Um, and, you know, we just felt that that was, that was wrong just to, to release players. And so what we did is we brought in uh, roughly 100 players later that fall. Once the protocols were in place, we brought them into Arizona at our spring training complex. They were there for five to seven weeks. They participated. They worked out. They played inter-squad games. We made evaluations on them at that particular time. And then we had to release you know, probably 20 to 25 to 30 players after giving them that opportunity. And again, that's, in my opinion, that was the absolute right thing to do. Now it costs the organization, it cost us some money to do that. Um, but the players are the future of the game. They've always been the future of the game. And, you know, there's a lot of players that people have never even heard about. There hadn't been a lot of stories written about. Maybe they didn't even get out of A-ball or the Dominican Summer League or or, or rookie ball, but they have just as much influence in their communities of growing the game and making the game strong as guys like Mike Trout and Ken Griffey Jr. and Alex Rodriguez and Salvador Perez and Rafael Fercal and Mark DeRosa and, and Martin Prado and so many other players. I mean, you get the point. And, um, and so everybody, uh, everybody's success is tied together in this game. And we've always believed that. And uh, we just felt it was very – um, short-sighted and and wrong to um, release players at that point in time when they needed people to stand up for them and stand beside them. Look, <clears throat> you've heard me say this a lot. Um, managers get paid to make sure things are done right, but leaders do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And nobody can disagree or argue that the data said that you should release minor league players. There's not going to be room for them. Minor league contraction is on the horizon. This is a circumstance that none of us expected. It's, it's unprecedented times. Okay. People did what they felt was right. But, you know, we, we felt the right thing to do was to be patient, give these players the right opportunity when the time comes, evaluate them appropriately, give them the respect that they've earned and they deserve. And um, I'm proud of, of what we did there. 
So it, that's just one of the many examples of, you know, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about sort of the state of baseball, because as we know, baseball, you know, really Dayton with any industry in my industry, if you look back in three years ago, I say to people, whether it's radio, whether it's TV, whether it's writing, whatever it is, I said, everything you thought you knew, like it's changed more in the last two or three years than maybe it has ever in, in the last 10 or 20 years. And so I'm looking forward to talking with you about baseball, but I do want to get to sort of the here and the now and just to go through what you have, um, your evolution of your career most recently. If you could take me back to uh, when, you know, you found out about that you were leaving the Kansas City organization, how that went down, and then anything that you have planned going forward. No, I appreciate the question. You know, Rob, I was I was shocked. I was I was surprised. Um, I didn't see it coming. Um, you know, we, we'd been making plans for, you know, what we were going to do, uh, not only the upcoming season, but the next three years and, and how we were, were looking to continue to evolve. We certainly felt that, you know, we'd done a lot of the heavy lifting in our organization since, you know, 2017. And since, uh, you know, our, our last group had moved on and, and we set out to build our organization through homegrown talent. Uh, we have a lot, a lot of homegrown guys on the field, quality young players that we think we thought and we do believe are still going to continue to get better. Uh, and so the, the organization is definitely trending in the right spot. So it's not something that that I expected at all. Um, caught me way off guard, but that's that's part of the game. I mean, um, you've got to earn every single day you've got to earn the right to put that uniform on or to be in this game for tomorrow. And, and uh, you know, um, John Sherman uh, and his investment group felt that a new uh, direction was um, required. And uh, so I have to accept that and respect that. And, uh, but we've, but we've had, um, you know, some, some really neat opportunities, um, you know, since then in the game, outside of the game, uh, in the at the youth league levels, at the collegiate level, I mean, there's just there's been a lot of different opportunities for us to filter through. But, but I anticipate being in spring training with with somebody, um, and I, and I think maybe in the next ten days to two weeks, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to figure some of that out. Um, certainly, have a lot of passion and love for this game, and uh, want to continue to to be a part of it at some level. I, I don't have to be the main character. Uh, you know, I, I just, I just want to, again, just do what I can to, uh, to do my part, to continue to make the game strong and make it the game that uh, you and I fell in love with and, uh, and that our kids have fallen in love with. And so that's, that's the most important part of it. Dayton, when you're grinding through and listen, I mean, you, you reached the mountaintop, you built a program that won the world series. And then you're to your point. Then you you know, you had the challenge of starting over again. And you're building it back up, and then you get the rug pulled out from under you, like you just talked about. When that happens, after the initial sting of it, you talk about working with youth. You talk about working with college. You talk about working potentially with another organization. Do, is there now this sense of okay, you know, I'm revitalized, man. Like I'm. I'm I'm looking at things when you're in the middle of it. Sometimes you don't don't see everything. Maybe now you take a step back and say, "Wow, you know, there are certain things which I am really looking forward to taking a deep dive into, and 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 learning more about, and and maybe implementing." Any? Do you feel that way? 
I really do. In fact, I told uh, somebody about three weeks ago, in some ways, I feel about 30 years younger. <laughs> you know, I feel refreshed. Um, you know, we, we'd, um, we'd been with the Royals, as you know, for a little over 16 years. And, uh, you know, the, the, when we came there in 2006 from the Atlanta Braves, uh, and I had great mentors and great opportunity with the Braves. I started there as an area scout. I ended up uh, working as a pro scouting director, an international scouting director, uh, a farm director, and then overseeing scouting and player development. So I had a lot of different opportunities uh, to learn this game from at different levels and to interact with so many people in the game. And at that time, Rob, um, before coming to Kansas City, I knew every scouting director in the game. I knew every development director in the game. I knew most of the scouts. I knew a lot of the minor league managers uh, and coaches in the game. And now 16 years later, um, I don't know as many people at the grassroots of the game, the people that are making the game strong at the foundational level. And so I'm looking forward to getting back into that environment and learning the people of the game, because when you learn the people of the game and those that are making the difference, then you can connect with the players at a much deeper and meaningful level. And, and so that's what I'm looking forward to most. And, uh, but again, when we came to Kansas city, the building part of it was a lot of fun. You could see yourself getting better. I didn't know we were ultimately going to win a world series, but you know, we were making things better and we were moving in the right direction. And then when we started to win and 2013, there was a different sense of urgency um, because I knew we had a small window of opportunity here to maybe get to a World Series and win a World Series. And then once you get into the playoffs, it's like, okay, let's let's get this thing done. And then when we came up short in 2014, we put all the chips on the table for 15. And we, we knew that we were going to have to make deals at the deadline and throughout the 2015 season to uh, enhance our roster to match up better with the the best teams in baseball in 2015. And so, you know, we traded for Ben Zobrist and we traded for Johnny Cueto. And a lot of people felt we gave up way too much uh, in those deals. But we were focused on what we were getting in return, not what we were we're giving up and, and how those particular players blended in and fit within the context of our current roster and made us better. And, um, and so that was a lot of fun, but a lot of pressure because we knew we had a small window of opportunity to win. And then when all those players, we ultimately won and we're proud of that fact uh, that we could bring a world series championship to our fans and our community and uh, the, the Royals organization and ownership the Glass family. Uh, and then when all those players went on to free agency, we had to rebuild. Rebuild is different than building. And, you know, it, it was taxing. It was a strain. Um, it, it, I think it, it changed me some for the better, but for some, the worst as well. And as I reflect honestly about how I led during the rebuild, um, you know, I, I wasn't as patient at times with people. Um, I was a lot more demanding at times, uh, harder on myself, um, which can affect relationships outside the game as well. And so I've, I've had a chance to, to evaluate some things. And I think if we're, if we're not constantly self-evaluating and resetting 
and being honest with ourselves, we're probably not moving forward. So I, I feel like I'm in a very healthy state of mind and really looking forward to the next opportunities. You know, I, I don't think I've heard that about the difference between building and rebuilding. And I got to think, Dayton, it's because it's just because you have a taste of it. And as much as you want to say, okay, you know, we knew that we we're going to have to reset. We knew that we were going to have to build back up. You still have that taste of, oh, maybe it's just around the corner. Maybe it can be a little bit quicker than, than we anticipate. Am I right with that? Yeah, I think so. I think you're, you're wise in, in, in your judgment there. Um, you know, it's just, but it's just, um, you know, once you've won uh, and, and ultimately won a, a World Series, I mean, that's all that's on your mind is getting back to that stage. Right. And that's all you think about. And, um, you know, so I think mentally it was a little more challenging than I even anticipated. You know, as, as you know, you know, after the, the 2017 season, you know, we had an opportunity to perhaps go back to Atlanta. Um, and, uh, you know, Mr. Glass felt it was best for me to stay in Kansas city. And I was going to uphold his wishes. He'd been faithful to us and supportive with, to us. And if he wanted me in Kansas City, I was willing to stay. Um, but I didn't anticipate ownership change. Mm. And then you know, Mr. Glass um, became ill, and him and his family decided to sell the team. I, I, and I understand circumstances change. And, you know, so a couple years later, he's, he's ill, he's dying, uh, and he's going to sell the team. And then obviously new ownership comes in. And, and so that's a completely different dynamic as well, which I'm thankful I had a chance to manage through that. Um, and, uh, you know, there's probably some things I could have done better and been a little more patient um, to uh, w- with a new group who was learning the game and, and the organization. But uh, you know, anyway, like I said, you, you learn and, and uh, uh, you know, you move on. When and when you're going back, when you're evaluating and you're building and you're trying to get back up there, I would imagine we talk about how things have changed dramatically over the last few years. And a big part of this is analytics. A big part of this is maybe the way that that executives view the game. Um, I go back to you know you guys in Atlanta. Nobody was better at evaluating talent. You know, I I know that firsthand. I mean, you guys, you guys identified which prospects were good. You didn't. Notorious is the wrong word, but really, you're really good at it. Like mm-hmm. for valuing the right talent, the right minor league guys, which ones to give up and which ones to hold on to. And as you're going through in that day and age, I would imagine evaluating and building just by pure like that way was a lot different than the last couple of years where now you're talking about taking deep, deep dives into guys. And and maybe we're going to – we think this guy has a five-and-a-half ERA, but his spin rate's really, really good. So we think if we do this or that, it's just – tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, the the way that you have to build a team or the way that teams are trying to build teams are dramatically different than even probably when you won the World Series. Well, I think the game, you're, you're constantly evolving, as we know. And, and I, I appreciate and respect and admire and, and, and covet the, the data and information that is out there. Always have. Um, but, you know, I learned the game through, um, you know, a, a different, different way. And I, I learned it through more of a pure evaluation 
um, uh, understanding the makeup of players, what motivates them, what drives them um, to be successful. And those things, I believe, will never, ever change. I mean, you have to understand the heart and the desire of the player and, um, you know, what their habits are like and what their routines consist of, because that is a predictor of future success. And then, of course, you have to understand their aptitude. And sometimes it takes a little longer to figure that out. You know, there's there's obviously uh, emotional intelligence, I think, is often way overlooked in in our game and uh, you've got to understand that you know who who has the ability to to get along with players and understand what coaches are trying to convey to them and dealing with uh, and accepting and embracing the diversity of the game and and all the different people involved in the game it takes great emotional intelligence to to understand that um and to be successful in today's baseball World, but uh, Rob, I've always used information, data, statistics, analytics to validate my judgment as an evaluator, and I've always used that information to perhaps uncover, um, you know, something about a player that maybe my eyes aren't seeing, and so I've always trusted that. But at the end of the day. Um, you know, you, you use it as a tool and it's a valuable tool. You know, when I was an area scouting supervisor, um, I got a lot of funny looks. You know, when I had my radar gun, you know, over at first base, um, evaluating the arm strength and the arm speed and the velocity from the infield, um, from the shortstop and the third base or behind third base as the outfielders were throwing um, two thirds and evaluating their arm speed and their velocity. I was all using the tools available to us at the time, the information that that we had, and uh, and so nothing has changed. And that's what makes the game so special: is there's so much information out there. It stimulates us, it it, it challenges us, and it keeps us motivated to keep pursuing the game. Do you think this is somewhat um, cyclical in the sense of, and I've had this conversation a lot with guys uh, about the value of what you're talking about, personalities, clubhouse dynamics, leaders, um, and, and maybe valuing that as much as as maybe the potential we see someone through the analytics and i got you know a couple examples we first of all we just had johnny gomes on the podcast which you know you bring in johnny gomes to kansas city and i don't think he even played in the world series but you know obviously had an impact there um i talked to eric hosmer and eric hosmer i mean i can't tell you how many times, how many guys from San Diego said this guy was such a huge, huge part of that clubhouse. And so I asked Hosmer about it and he said, I learned it from Raul Ibanez, you know, Mm -hmm. Kansas City. And I mean, this is a type of stuff that is very, very real. And, and I think this is a complete guess, Dayton. I think that it might be a little cyclical in the sense of that front offices are maybe starting to understand this a little bit more than they did two years ago. I don't know, but the the, the voices are getting louder in respect of having of talking what you're talking about, talking what I'm talking about, of having these voices and maybe prioritizing this a little bit more 
than the guy with a great spin rate. Do you think that I, that's accurate? I think so, because, I mean, you, you look at, you know, the important to me, I think a manager is so important. I really do. I mean, it sets the tone, um, you know, for the entire organization. Uh, you want a manager, coaches that people aspire to play for. Um, and I think that's where I think people have started to understand that. There was a period of time where people said, you know, I don't think the manager is that impactful. I completely disagree. The clubhouse is a living, breathing organism. Those players are dealing with all kinds of things on the field, off the field. Uh, and, and our game requires so much concentration. It requires um, so much focus and discipline. And, and when you're dealing with things out of your control or maybe self-induced off the field, it divides you and robs you of your, your focus and concentration on the field, which is so necessary to be successful over 162 games. And, you know, what I would say to this is, you know, there's a lot of times that I'll be looking over, um, you know, uh, the stat sheet, if you will, um, for the, the previous month. And I'll be, I'll say something, I'll think to myself, man, <clears throat> this player performed a lot better than I thought he did. Because I, I couldn't remember one big play or one big hit or one big game he pitched that was significant. But, you know, the numbers were, okay, they're pretty good. But I don't remember him doing anything to really help us win a game. And then there'll be a player and I'll be looking at it and I'll be saying, man, I, I thought he did a lot better than this. Because I can remember two or three hits or two or three plays or, or, or two or three games where they pitched extremely well or got a big hit. Yeah, they only got one hit that game, but it was the biggest hit. Or they didn't get on base except the last at bat of the game in the ninth inning to start a rally. And, you know, those are the types of things that win baseball games. And players in that clubhouse understand that. And uh, nobody – you can't – look, the one thing that we all know, Robin, you've been in clubhouses a long time. You can't fool players. No. You can't fool them. Don't even try. You might as well be transparent with all aspects of what you do because you're not going to fool them. And they know who can play. They know who the winners are. They know who the players that care deeply about winning and competing and genuinely can celebrate in the accomplishments of their their teammates. And there's very few that have the ability to do that. And, you know, John Wooden said it this way. He said he'd rather have a player that makes the team great than a great player. Eric Hosmer has always been one of those players for me. He's a type, does he have ability? Of course he does. Um, he's been on all-star games. He's won gold gloves. He has talent. He was a first-round pick for a reason. But he's always been one of those players that, that makes a team great, makes a team go because of his attitude, his selflessness. He genuinely celebrates in the accomplishments of others. And he gets big hits and he gets on base. And that's that's what he did for us in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, I, I could talk about Eric Hosmer all day, what he brings um, to, a, to a baseball team. Well, you know, he's he's a good example of this, right? I mean, you can look at numbers and say he's had a decline. and But at the same time, it's it's the value that he brings. It's, you know, in, in saying, well, you know, you might not be getting the Hosmer of, of five or six years ago. But you're getting a pretty good player, certainly a really good defensive first baseman who's going to be – I don't think it's going to be an automatic out by any means. 
And by the way, he is the rarity, uh, the rarest of rare guys that, to, to your point, is going to do what you need to do in the clubhouse. And there's, and put it this way, Dane, let's be honest. That's probably the harder thing to find these days. The everyday player that is going to be that guy too in the clubhouse. That's that's a pretty good combination. <clears throat> well, well, how important it is. I mean, so look, we all have insecurities if we're honest. Okay, and Major League Baseball players are no different. I mean, they're on the biggest stage. There's only 26 spots. They've got players that uh, are they're competing against. Players that are trying to take their jobs. Um, the next great players in AAA or AA. And so there's insecurities that exist with, with Major League Baseball players as well. And so you need players like Eric Hosmer and others to take that young player aside or even that older veteran player aside and say, look, man, it's going to be okay. I believe in you. I know you're going through a tough stretch, um, but we're going to, you know, we've got your back here. And um, we're here. We're, we're a team. And uh, you need players like that. Um, because the players are the ones that are ultimately guiding every team's success. And the, the quickest and, and that you can form that bond and that unity and that togetherness, um, the better off you're going to be. And the teams that reach their ceiling, they get rid of the drama and the insecurities quicker. They may not win a World Series, but they reach their ceiling. And it takes players like Eric Hosmer and others that – that understand that the game is about us and we and not about me and I and um, to and to, to want to pour into player another player and to pull for another player, you've got to have a lot of we and us in this. You talked about managers, the importance of managers and and how you know that we should we should value managers you know, in baseball, it's not necessarily saying this is when you should bunt, this is when you should hit and run, this is when you should do this or that. It's managing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you guys in Kansas City, you always made sure to pay your minor league managers more than as, as much as anybody, if not more. Is that right? Well, we always felt that was important. You know, <clears throat> one of the things I told Mr. Glass when we when we left Atlanta to come to Kansas City, I said, look, we're, we're a small market team. I accept that. Um, that means, you know, our, our, our 40 man roster, our 25 man roster is going to have change. We're not going to be able to keep a lot of our star players. And so the, there, there will be um, some players that, that will move on. But I, we don't want to be in a position where we're going to have to constantly change scouting directors uh, development directors, key front office personnel, minor league managers, area scouting supervisors. We've got to keep the core group of our leaders in the organization together. We need a foundation. We need stability. We don't want a lot of change in philosophy and personalities that are going to interfere with the consistency of developing players. And so that's <clears throat> that was a commitment that, that David Glass made to us when we came to Kansas City. I appreciate that. And our, you know, our, our people have benefited from that. But I've always felt that your minor league managers and your area scouting supervisors are the backbone of your organization. And they're the ones that make the foundation strong. Do you do you find making trades is more difficult these days than it used to be because of all the information and maybe even because of the different mindsets? You know that the teams are so 
paranoid about maybe I'm missing something. I mean, there's a million different reasons why a team might be hesitant to make a trade. But do you find that it's has been in the last few years more difficult to make trades? Yeah, I think you get some paralysis by analysis. Um, you know, there's a lot of information out there. We tend to dissect things and <clears throat> and and, <clears throat> and maybe overanalyze at times. I think we focus a lot on what we're giving up instead of what we're getting. You can only play nine. That's all you can play. And, um, you know, it, you, you don't, just like I, I told a, a highly respected general manager um, last week, I said, look, you can take all your prospects and you've got one of the best farm systems in the game. And you can have a game at your stadium and you're going to get six or 7,000 people there. That's great. But if you play one playoff game, the whole place will sell out. And I mean, so people aren't going to show up to watch prospects. Now I love prospects. I love young players as much as anybody. I dream alongside of the fans and, and scouts and coaches. And, you know, we all share in the hope of the next great player and we believe in them and it's fun. And we love watching the evolution of a young player that excites us. But, you know, at the end of the day, again, you focus on what you're getting in return and not what you're giving up. I remember we did the Will Myers trade, um, you know, uh, the overwhelming majority of our organization did not want to trade Will Myers. And I understood that. I don't want to trade Will Myers either. Um, you know, he became rookie of the year the following year. But I also knew that unless we, we got some impactful pitching we were never, ever going to, to be a playoff caliber team, even though we had all these young players on the field that everybody felt were going to be stars. Um, we knew and I knew that they were never going to be the stars that we felt they could become unless we got some meaningful pitching around them because the pitching puts the game in rhythm. Mm -hmm. Rhythm defensively, it puts the game in rhythm offensively. Um, and you know, you've got to have quality starting pitching. It just, the mindset is for your team. The psychology of your team is so important and it, without starting pitching, it, it's, it's going to uh, always be hindered and compromised because when you are, when you're riding home after the game that night, everybody's asking themselves the question, okay, who's the starter for tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. They want to know who the is. They want to know who the center fielder is. Like, who's the starting pitcher? There's a reason we think like that in the game because it's so important. And so we had to make that deal for us to, to put us on track to be a winning baseball team, and it and it certainly did. And but, yeah, I, go ahead. Sorry, I do think it's it's harder to make deals today, and, and I think that I think that I think you have. I think people are okay with just being, you know, um, you know, they want we all want to be consistent over 162 games. We all want consistency. We all strive for that. But, you know, we we always just tried to to build it up and then go for it and put all the chips in the table and 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 go for it. Um, and we knew that's how we had to do it in our with in Kansas City. Now, not every small market is the same, Rob. I mean, every every community is different. And, uh, you know, I felt like we had a, uh, a pulse on what the fans of Kansas City and what our, 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 our fans could tolerate, what they appreciated, and, and what 
obviously they ultimately won it, and that was a World Series championship. But the fans of Kansas City enjoy the ups and downs of the evolution of a, a minor league or of a major league player. They they like to follow them, and they don't like to see a lot of change. And where people would say that you've got to be more trans transactional with your roster and move players, and and um, you know we 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 just we never really did that. We stayed committed to our core group, but our fans understood that and and uh, and liked that and and fell in love with them. Now we had certain people in our fan base and probably our ownership group that didn't like. It. I mean, they just they, they wanted to be more transactional. That, that's okay. Yeah, I was going to say that you, you talking about looking forward to the next day starting pitcher. I think that, you know, that's another thing that I think may be changing a little bit in, from the last couple of years of, of you know, we we're talking about the acceptance of the, the three-inning starter, the four-inning starter, and, and go look at the playoffs. Well, I didn't see a whole lot of three- or four-inning starters, you know. I still saw the horses. And I, I, and to your point, going back to, I remember when you got Gil Mesh, right? That was like, that was the looking forward to the top of the rotation guy. You understood that you need that guy and then you find other guys along the way. Um, but I don't think that's changed. And, and that's probably the hardest thing to find too. It is. There's no doubt. Uh, it's harder today than ever before. But, you know, when we made that Gil Mesh trade, the other thing that that did is it took the pressure off Zach Grinke. Mm. All of a sudden, he was talking about Zach Grinke anymore, and Zach Grinke being the ace of the staff and this young pitcher who was going to be, you know, uh, a Cy Young Award winner, and and the focus was off him, and he needed to take a back seat. He didn't want the the all the the attention at the time, and bringing in Gil Mesh allowed Zach Grinke just to kind of blend in a little bit. Everybody was talking about Gil Mesh, and and that's part of it as well. You know, is putting a, a rotation together that can feed off of one another and support one another. Um, I mean, you know, instead of just having one guy that's got to go out there every fifth day and carry the load. I mean, if you, you get the right group together, they feed off each other. They make each other b- better. There's a healthy competition that exists. They push each other on those four days leading up to the next start. I mean, there's just a there's a there's a uniqueness to that to that you know, that pitching culture that I think you've you got to understand as well. And Shields was that way too. I mean, right. I mean, you talk about leaders of the staff, same deal. I mean, when James Shields took the mound, it was an event and everybody knew it was, it was going to be a, a very intense day with high expectations. I mean, he, he prepared mentally and physically like, like the best of the best. I mean, that's, and he had an attitude and a swagger and a, and a toughness. Um, you had to – if you didn't meet his intensity as a hitter, you were, you were going to get beat. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a, an intensity and a focus that I think was uh, unmatched at the time. Dayton, last thing is that, you know, we talk about the evolution of baseball and the rule changes coming in. From your perspective, what is the thing that you feel like baseball has to get better at? And, um, you know, we can say, you know, time of game or whatever it is. I mean, it can be anything. And this, and I know there's probably a bunch of things, but for you, what is the thing that baseball needs to get better at going forward the next few years? Well, I, I do, I do think that, you know, look, a lot of people have always talked about the pace of game. Um, 
I've never really focused on that. A, a baseball game's never been too long for me personally. When I was a young kid, I rooted for extra innings. I mean, I loved watching baseball games, and I, I still do today. But I, I understand that you know there can be a, a quicker pace and tempo to the game. I, I, you know, I saw probably oh almost sixty minor league games this past year in twenty twenty two. I thought the pitch clock made a big difference. I thought it made players better. I, th- I just thought there was a more focus and more energy. Um, the, the, it, the fans seemed to stay more engaged as well. Um, so I think that's going to be a healthy change. Uh, I, I really, really do. I mean, look, we have always tried to, in de- development, pitching development 101 has always been pitchers work quickly, um, keep the game in motion, keep the game in a rhythm so your defense stays active and alert. And, you know, I, so I think that's going to be a healthy change. Um, as far as the bases being bigger and the shift and, and all those other things, we'll, we'll see. I mean, time will tell. Um, look, the pitching's really, really good today, as we know, and it's, it's hard to hit. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I'm not against, per se, uh, eliminating the shifts. Um, I wouldn't have voted um, for it. I mean, I think that players and coaches and ought to be able to have the, <clears throat> the freedom to play the game the way they believe it should be played. I believe in the naturalness uh, of the player. I believe in not taking away the aggressiveness of the player. But, Rob, I, I didn't want instant replay. <clears throat> I felt – I remember when we talked about it, not that the general managers – had any say whether instant replay was going to be a part of the game. But when they did the vote, I mean, I think I was one of maybe two or three that voted against it. And because I, I just felt that it would take away the emotion of the game mm. and the aggressiveness of the game and uh, some of the intensity of the game. And, um, you know, you need emotion to get through 162 games. And I thought, and the umpires are really, really good. Did they make mistakes? Yeah, they make mistakes, but they make the fewest mistakes of anybody on the field every single night. They're really good at what they do. And you know what? It isn't perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. And you know what? Some At some point in time, the one of the things that makes a player really, really good or puts a team over the edge and makes them better is they got to overcome a certain level of adversity. And sometimes the game doesn't break your way. And it, you, you go to bed at night frustrated and disappointed because maybe the call didn't go your way, but that's what motivates you the next day to come out and be the best version of yourself. And so, um, you know, I, I still wish that, you know, instant replay wasn't a part of the game, but I understand why it is. Mm. Uh, but again, that's just my opinion. Listen, MVP of the world, MVP of the World Series, Pat Hoberg, right? I mean, what a performance! <laughs> yeah, but but I still love it. I still yeah. love no matter what changes they make. Uh, I'm going to accept it and continue to to fall and stay in love with the game. I made a I made a decision a long time ago, spring training of 1997, our first year at Disney's Wild World of Sports, and. Um, there was a set of circumstances that were taking place in the front office. It was my first full year in the front office. And I remember saying to myself, I'm never going to let a situation, circumstance, event, or a person drive a wedge between me and what I love to do. So no matter what changes they make, whether I like them or not like them, once they're made, I'm going to accept them and work like heck 
um, to, to make the game as strong as it possibly can be, regardless of how I felt about um, the decision. I mean, that's it's something that it's good to have that foundation when you're going through the ups and downs of any, you know, anybody's career to have the foundation of to, to say, be able to say, I put this in my head. I said this X amount of years ago and I'm not deviating from it. And as you sit there right now, that must be a pretty good feeling. Well, you know, it's look, it, it's important to, to learn from others and learn from your mistakes and um, be open-minded and, uh, and seek wise counsel. Um, and, you know, I've been wrong a lot in this game, but, uh, you know, I've always viewed it through my own lenses, okay? And so one of the things I learned in, in leadership a long time ago, um, it's very difficult to ever put yourself in somebody else's shoes because you really never know what they've been through or, or what they're going through. Um, and how they've been challenged in their lives. We've all been challenged differently. So I can only look at this life and this game through my experiences and my lenses, okay? And I, that's how I've chosen to do it. But that doesn't mean I'm closed-minded to other people. I, I want to learn from others. And uh, I love hearing other people's stories. One of the, 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 well, I've asked this question hundreds, maybe, maybe over a thousand mm-hmm. times. Uh, I've asked everybody I meet in the game, every player I've met, every player I've interviewed, I've always asked them the following questions. Um, Who introduced you to the game? And why do you love this game? And, um, you know, I think that's where it begins and ends. And, um, you know, as we have discussions with others at all, all different levels in this game, who introduced you to the game? It takes you back to probably your childhood or an important moment. And and uh, reflection is important. And then, why do you love the game? Why is it important to you? It's it's. I mean, there's nobody's lens who I'd rather look at the game through than your lens, Dayton. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, this is a lot. This has been an awesome conversation. And you know, we we started this baseballs and boring thing. And I think I told you, you know, we have the book coming out in March, and it's. And it's through Joe Kelly, but Joe Joe and I interview other people, and so many people have answers to that question, those questions that you're talking about. And as I'm doing, going through this process, whether it's talking to Joe, whether it's talking actors or entertainers or players or whoever, it made me remember my answers to it, right? right. Which we we forget. <laughs> so right. it's it's important. Well, I think, you know, we're going through the lockout, the pandemic and all those types of things. And people were getting frustrated with the game and, and, um, you know, wondering if they were going to continue to follow the game. You know, yeah, you had to remind yourself, I think, you know, why you fell in love with the game, who introduced you to the game. I think that's important um, as we reflect on resetting constantly, okay? Because we're all going to go through stages of burnout. We're all going to go through stages of frustration at whatever we're doing. And we go through that in the game as well. And what resets you is that reminder. Why did you fall in love with the game? Who introduced you to the game of baseball? And allows you to reset, I believe, in a healthy way, in a renewed way that gives you hope, um, you know, for the future uh, of, of this great game. Well, 
I'm going to bring a book to you on uh, wherever you are in spring training, but I know it'll be spring training. So there you go. Dave, thanks so much, man. It's always, it's it's been, uh, it's got my, my heart rate racing, ready to, ready to talk some more baseball, but uh, you're, you're one of the good ones. I really appreciate everything, all the time you've taken and all the wisdom you've imparted. Good things ahead. Always, Rob. Appreciate you. Thank you. In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of the Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it.